Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Empire Rolls preview show supported by Phantom Bruco. Well, I can assure you alcohol has been one of the most important factors for most Reading fans over the last few weeks. And I'm joined by someone who is a very big fan of a beverage on his uh, nights out. That is Mr. James Earnshaw from the Reading Chronicle. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Not not quite sure what that introduction was, but, you know, shafting me in front of everyone here. <laughs> well, to be honest, I've tried so many different introductions and, like, you know, <laughs> trying to bring it up and try to be positive. And you just have to go a little bit left field now, don't you? Because there's nothing much there in reality to actually bring us up, is there? Yeah, you're running out of, running out of positive and fun intros, I guess. Just start it with a, a precursor of this depression from here onwards. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, we had the game on Tuesday night against Fleetwood. Mm. And, I mean, that was a disaster from the first second almost, wasn't it, James? I mean, it just, it was almost like the players, I don't know, was it a combination of a little bit of arrogance and complete sloppiness? I don't know what it was. Just don't think they were very good. And I I think Fleetwood were a very experienced League One team. Uh, You know, the, the first goal was a bit of a, it's not a fluke, but, you know, anyone, you know, within a minute, kind of catches everybody off guard. Um, but, yeah, no, they didn't play very well, didn't turn up. Fleetwood deservedly won, probably should have won by even more. Um, but then we had chances second half, we blew them. Uh, and to lose it the way we did was kind of <laughs> summed up what it's like to be a Reading fan at the minute. I mean, crikey, as I said 10 years ago, we lost the league game in the last minute to Fleetwood Town at home. But, you know, these are the depths that we've fallen to, and I don't think we've fallen to the bottom yet. That's the issue. Yeah, that's that's the worry, isn't it? Um, that we've mentioned on the podcast that we did uh, probably about twenty times on different podcasts over the last few weeks and months, but especially in the one that we did post uh, Fleetwood, which is called Sinking Fast, and that feels like the club, doesn't it? It, it it's not a slow process. This it has been for the, like the last previous three or four years, but now it feels like yeah it's out of control isn't it it's just sinking there's holes everywhere in this boat isn't there and it's just you, you can't stop it coming in no no we keep trying to put our fingers in the holes to to plug it but uh more holes just appear and uh you know unfortunately this is a, a thing that's bigger than us as fans and bigger than the people that own it but they're the ones that can do something about it and they're choosing not to and we're just the sort of passengers on the titanic that you know no matter how much we try and waft the water out of the 
out of the boat it's already coming in so we just got to sit there and hold our breath and go down with it i think that's the fucking main thing yeah i'm gonna i'm not gonna venture into the football yet i'm gonna kind of like skirt around it for a bit more uh because uh that um individual i will say story was piping up again during the week with his stupid tweets that he does i mean i just can't see that happening at all but i just wish he'd go away james um he's just I don't know what he is. He's just a very odd individual. Well, if it's anything, if Twitter's anything to go by, he's going to have a big interview with Tim Della soon. So I don't think he's going away. You know, not necessarily yet. I mean, let's be honest. That it's going any oxygen. That's what I say. Don't <laughs> give it to him. Well, yeah, I've been going on so long now. To be honest, I just want it over and done with. You know, whether it is story um, or anyone. To be honest, I mean, at least it kind of stops the short-term pain. Um, but then again, you know. It looks like we're going to be going down to League Two out of our own accord of not being very good anyway. So what difference does it make if you're going down with points deductions added on? Uh, I think we're going to have to rebuild right from the very bottom. Um, you know, no matter what the situation is over the next few months. So um, yeah, we've got the next what six, seven months to get our heads around it, and then go again at Sutton away in the league next year. Yeah, I wonder how many employees that are currently at Reading FC will be there, including staff and players this time next year my prediction is very few i can't see many of them surviving what's going to be a new change of ownership a complete cut in financial outlay if we do go down to league two it is going to be complete trauma isn't it but let's hope that doesn't happen let's hope we stay up there's still a long way to go keep reminding yourself of that paul just keep that positive mental attitude and just tune into that Nigel Atkins world where you need to be. <laughs> you got to go there. So you spoke to Ruben Sellers after the match and talking about positivity. He thinks he can turn this around. I'm not. I am not in any way convinced by this, James. But mm. what kind of stuff was he telling you? Yeah, I don't think there are many. There are many are. He might not even be convinced himself, to be honest. But he can't come out now and and you know throw the towel in or anything. Um, nothing major, really, to be honest. Um, he came out and said how it was and that. We didn't play very well, which we didn't play very well. Um, you know, we, you know, Ajaria was brought up three or four times, and you know they just decided to stick with the injured, um, you know, thing. Who are we to, to you know, justify whether it's correct or not? But I don't think many of us are too convinced that he is actually injured. Um, but yeah, you know, the, it just kind of blew my mind that Elliot and Vickers are deemed not good enough. Um, he did, I mean, he didn't say that in as many words, but Vickers couldn't even make the bench, which kind of surprised me. Elliot couldn't even get two minutes off the bench. He sat there the whole time. Um, it's just quite baffling, to be honest, at times. Um, but no one's out there really has grabbed their position by by the uh, horns. So um, you know, I don't think there's anyone in the squad who can moan if they get dropped or don't get picked. Um, but I think there are a few who could probably feel a little bit hard done by to not even make the squad. Um, but to be honest, the games are feeling a bit irrelevant now, to be honest. I mean, we mm. go in the games every week, every few days with the same feeling and coming out of them again with the same feeling. I mean, it's Groundhog Day uh, at the minute. You just hope that at some point something happens to change it. But, you know, we're still away from that yet. And we got League Leaders, League Leaders Portsmouth on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a nice time to get a win. Yeah, there'll be some people out there thinking, I'll oh, be typical Reading to turn this around and get a win against Portsmouth. I cannot say that. <laughs> I really can't. That was a different era of Reading. Mm. I hope I am totally wrong on that. But what's your feelings about it, James? Because 
uh, there's been a lot of reaction from Portsmouth fans online about an incident that happened many years ago when they were in a similar position. Football fans won't change, will they? Uh, they will always uh, going to take the piss out of each other, however bad the situation is an element of people. They will always do that. But they've got themselves back up into a relatively stable position now, obviously top of League One, not where they were many years ago, but they're improving. So what do you think on these Portsmouth fans, James? I mean, do you think they're right to be still bitter about the behaviour of some Reading fans over 10 years ago? Or is that just football fans in general? Oh, yeah, I think you've hit it there with, with the fact of football fans. I mean, you know, there are plenty of clubs that I'm sure Reading fans don't like for some very random or vague reason that happened probably a lot longer ago than 10 years. Um, I don't think it's right necessarily, um, but can I sit here now and justify that Reading fans wouldn't be the same if the shoe was on the other foot? No, I don't think. I'm sure if we were having, you know, money, fake money thrown around at us, um, as we probably likely are Saturday, to be honest. But had it been us 10 years ago that, that was the other way around, I'm sure we'd still be upset and annoyed by um, certain portions of, of fan bases. So I guess if you do give out your, you know, your medicine, you've got to take it. But um, I, don't, I don't agree with what the Reading fans did either. I think it was quite you know, low and, and crass on, on both sides. But hey, you know, there's plenty of football chants and football songs that have been crass and over the line. Um and I don't think that one's anywhere near as bad as plenty of others we've heard. So it is what it is. Uh, just got to take it, I guess, on Saturday um, and just hope maybe that the atmosphere kind of puts a rocket up some of the players' backsides and, um, you know, they pull out a miracle because if they start the way they did against Fleetwood, um, then it's going to be a cricket score before half-time. Uh, never mind any chance of keeping it until the last minute. Yeah, um, obviously there will be a march, uh, Sell Before We Die, I've organised it, and we're starting from Blue Collar at half 12. You can get there from 11 o'clock, it'll be open. We want to get as many people there as possible. Dave Kitson will be joining us, so that's a great thing to uh, have there. It's a real chance for Unity, as I've said on many pods. I'm just going to keep pushing this because, honestly, this is what we should be focusing on right now, and James is right, that games at the moment are... They're not irrelevant, but in the whole scheme of everything, they feel kind of irrelevant because we want to have a team that we can support for the next few years and for the next generations. That's what we want. And you might think, oh, going on a march might not achieve anything. But you know what? Just doing nothing achieves nothing. You've got to try something and try and make a positive change. And I think that it sends out a message that might help another club at some point, not just us. The power of fans is amazing. And there might be other investors out there that will see the power of so many people marching throughout Reading and think, yeah, I want to be a part of that club. And then we don't end up with a terrible owner. You just don't know who's watching this. So just go along. Just do that and join the march at some way. There's lots of different points. Go onto their socials and check it out. And I would thoroughly recommend being part of that so let's get on to the predictions James what are you going to go for I mean I know you're going to go for a Portsmouth win but just how many <laughs> it's like another one of those head to be heart scenes I mean you mentioned it earlier but like the Reading that I grew up with this would be the typical game where we'd go and win 1-0 and you, you know you'd be battered and they just pop up with a goal at the right time but you know you said it earlier this is a very different Reading this isn't the same Reading and this is a Reading that don't I don't think don't have, I don't think they have the character or the quality to pull out a result 
like this when everything's against them. Uh, so I'm going to go three nil Portsmouth. Uh, but you know, there's always the hope because uh, the hope is what kills you. It is, it is, isn't it? Ultimately, with the football, even on uh, Tuesday, there was moments when we could have taken the lead, and it could have been totally different. You know, they got the savage shot. You've got the Harley mm. Dean header. And would we have deserved it? I, I wouldn't have cared if we had gone on to win that game. <laughs> would not have given a toss. But let's get back to my prediction, which I'm trying to avoid give, mm. giving. I'm going to say, I'll go similar to you. I'm going to go 4-1, maybe. I can see a scoring, but it would be totally irrelevant. Yeah, I, I think Portsmouth are going to have a fantastic day out. And I hope I'm totally wrong and we win. But now I will be passing this over to Alex, who will be talking to a Portsmouth fan, and he's probably got some fake cash in the background. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Cheers. Welcome back to the Elm Park Royals podcast. I've been joined now by Freddie from the PO Forecast. Freddie, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm not so bad, Alex. Thank you. Yeah, um, Portsmouth had a roughish game Tuesday night, but yeah, hopefully things can change on Saturday. Well. <laughs> I think we've probably got different definitions of rough, unfortunately, because at the minute, I think Portsmouth are now is it 25 unbeaten in, in the league and unbeaten all season this year so far. Yeah, I'm being in the league since John Massino became the manager, I believe. Um, yeah, so, somehow gone a long run, lots of draws in there, but no, somehow this season seems a bit different for Pompey and it certainly has to be given long-term goal of the club and stuff. Yeah, we're, what, 14 games in now to the season and you're four points clear at the top of the table. And it feels like things are kind of motoring along um, motoring along, and it looks like potentially this could be the year that you finally make yourself back out of League One and, and back into the second tier. I wouldn't go that far. Um, probably been up Wait. there, like, like top of Christmas before, dropped down into playoff positions and lost it from there. And even under Danny Cowley, when we were like, top of the table after like 12, 13, 14 games and then just fell off a cliff and didn't get in the playoffs. That was a rough one. So I'm not going to be arrogant and say that it's promotion signed up already. It's nowhere near it. There's, there's a long way for this team to go, I think. It certainly started very well, though. Um, and it feels like one of the main kind of catalysts for that has been, you know, going forward, you've got Colby Bishop up front, who I think is probably one of the best strikers in the league. I think he's on eight, nine goals this season so far in the league. Yeah, Colby is eight goals in the league, signed it from Accrington for about roughly half a million pounds-ish. He's one of our best players and I would argue he's one of the best strikers in the league purely because of his ability to score goals. He scores multiple types of goals, very good off the ball, very strong, who can handle himself against larger centre-halves. The biggest problem for Portsmouth in the past was providing quality chances for him. Like last season, he got 20 goals when a lot of the time he's feeding off scraps. Whereas this season, Pompey are creating high-quality chances. If you look at their expected goals metric, it's around 25, according to Wisecat, and we scored 22 goals. So we still got more if we look at those statistics. So, yeah, Colby is a, a massive change, but that change has happened all the way across the team. I think there's been a lot of lot of turnover in, with Messino's first summer. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember over summer seeing Portsmouth signing players, and it felt like every other day that you were signing players and, um, I mean, obviously Bishop wasn't signed in summer, but two of the players that he did sign in summer seem to have come in and just kind of hit the ground running. Uh, Regan Paul and Connor Shaughnessy, both of them seem to have, you know, completely just changed the changed the shape. Well, not even the shape, but just changed the mentality of that defence completely. 
Yeah, changed the pattern of play, certainly. Portsmouth struggled playing out from the back last season. Danny Cowley wanted to go through that, but we didn't really have the centre-halves to do it, in my opinion. Regan Paul's probably been our best signing of the summer. He's an exceptional player, and to get him on a free from Lincoln City was massive. He was linked with championship clubs, but he's incredibly composed on the ball, can play it out very well, is very quick to switch the ball, which under the previous season, Pompey struggled with an awful lot and is commanding that back line really well. And Connor Shotty, um we didn't think he would start an awful lot. We thought he would be the backup centre-half because he signed it from Burton and they're a side that aren't known for playing out from the back either. Um, used to defending deep, but Shotnessy's basically played himself into the side after a, an impressive display in the League Cup against Forest Green. And then he's been there ever since. And yeah, he's popping up with last minute goals and is an incredibly solid man marking defender who could also pass the ball out. That's been the major change in this side, I think. There are other changes across the pitch, but the back four being shored up is a major thing. And that's leading to Pompey dominating possession in a lot of games and creating their chances. I will say about Connor Shaughnessy that he was an ex Reading player back in the day. And the fact that he scored a few last minute winners, it Bill's moved right because I can guarantee he's going to get a goal on Saturday now. <laughs> it always happens. It always happens with Pompey as well. No matter what what ex player is in form or out of form, they always score against us. So you're in the same boat. I think. I don't. Unfortunately, I don't think we've got any ex Portsmouth players right now. So I might make it one now to Portsmouth straight away. Um, I mean, you've been playing a kind of fairly consistent formation all season four four two three one. And uh, I mean, tell us about the, the two who sit in front of the uh, defence. I think it's been Morel, the captain, right, so far, for the most part. Yeah, it, it was previously Mar- Marlon Pack as the captain and Joe Morel, uh, Wales International, next to him. Marlon Pack's out with an injury. I think he's going to be out for probably about another month. Uh, Joe Morel will be starting in that midfield. And most recently, the player to be next to him is Alex Robertson. Australian international known from Manchester City. He's a very good player. Um, Previously played him as a cam, but then he's dropped back a bit. Surprisingly very good at defending, loves to tackle, but the main thing about him is his vision and his movement on the ball and picking out a pass. He's very good at that. And that has allowed the wingers and the attacking fielder to get on chances and progress the ball to Bishop, which is the main main way that Pompey scored their goals. And then we look at I mean, the three in front of those two, you've got Christian Sadie playing for the season. Uh, I think it's is it Abu Kamara from Norwich as well. Mm-hmm. How are they getting on this year so far? Uh, Abu Kamara's been, been through some growing pains. This is his first loan and his first time playing week in and week out first team football. He's shown some incredible flair at times, some good crossing, and sometimes he's not afraid to go on the dribble, but he can get lost in games. But I think that's largely due to the fact that this is his first season playing regular football week in and week out. There'll be some growing pains. There'll be some experiences where he does not quite know what to do. But overall, I think he's had an excellent start to the season because, again, he was billed as like a substitute player for the bench, an impact player. But he's forced his way into the team after Anthony Scully got injured and has taken on that left wing role. Christian Sadie, I really like. Um, a lot of his better performances have been from the bench. A very physical player who loves to press and also loves to dribble when he gets on the ball. But he's not just a physical player. He's got very high IQ around the penalty area. He likes to pop into that little bit of space on his own. 
but also draw defenders away from other attackers. So he doesn't score many goals, but he does a lot of the things that a lot of people don't notice really well. So we've liked I've liked him at Cam as well. And Paddy Lane on the right wing, cutting inside on his left foot. He's definitely had a breakout season as well. It's uh it's it's nice having, I guess, three players in behind that striker who three players, yeah, three players in behind the striker all kind of having breakout years at the same time, which is it's ideal really because you you know that if one of them drops off a little bit of form you've got you know lane to come in and pick up the slack on the right hand side and if he's not playing well then you've got kamara who can you know play play off the left and create chances as well so um i'm looking back over the last few years you've, you've had a number of managers who've been in place for for you know a good couple of years you had kenny jacket and then daddy cowley and I think Messina came in. What was it? Halfway through last year, with very back end of last year. Um, uh, what What do you rate of, or what, do, what are your thoughts on on John Messina? Because I think this is his first job in management, isn't it? He was an expert. Yeah, absolutely. He is. He he was a um, coach at coach at Oxford United beforehand, and was pretty much billed to be Carl Robinson's successor for a while. From what I'm hearing from Oxford United fans on the subject, um, a lot of people were quite not mystified but like surprised by the pick to start with to go with a completely unproven manager to start with but he is he's been excellent so far um in terms of his interviews he comes across really well he's incredibly honest he says when the team's playing well and if they're not playing well very well spoken very eloquent um i think george ellick on not top 20 podcast said a lot about how he's very popular in the industry as well being linked with the pfa so he's definitely done an awful lot. And I've liked his tactics that he's gotten the most out of the side. It's quite possession-based, but it's not dogmatic. You're not going to see... If Pompey is struggling to play out from the back in a game, they're not going to keep doing it if it's a real issue. They're going to go a bit more direct and a bit and a bit longer. And yeah, they, they change the philosophy to a certain extent depending on the opposition. But the aim really is just to attack fast along the wings. We The team crosses an awful lot because we've got Bishop who's very good in the air and we can pile in the penalty area. So it's very adaptive. And I'm like, uh, John Senior's got a lot of credit so far, not just because of his unbeaten start this season, which, which I'm still surprised about, but no, he's got a lot of credit. And a lot of that is also down to Richard Hughes coming in as director of football, previously at Forest Green, and that's why there was a massive turnover in the summer because a lot of players left, and a lot of players came in, some for small transfer fees and others on a free as well. So there was a lot of change in the summer and a lot of the Pompey fans are rallying behind it at the moment. Yeah, the, uh, obviously the change in the director of football is, is going to kind of drive that recruitment, I guess, and push for a different style and different um, offering, especially when you've got a new manager who's coming in really for their first transfer because I think Messina came in kind of late January, but wouldn't have really had much in a say about what was going to change in, in terms of player personnel at that point. Um, I'd love to ask you about kind of what weaknesses Portsmouth have got, but you're top of the table and haven't lost in 25 games, so it's it feels a bit redundant. But is there any areas which, you know, Portsmouth may be a bit weaker in? There are some weaknesses, absolutely. Pompey conceded a lot of their goals um, from fast counter-attacks, especially when the opposition has basically got a man advantage. Um, one of the biggest examples was uh, the 3-2 win against Barnsley, against Oakwell, where they managed to get an overload on the left-hand side and then there was just the right winger just on his own because 
the Pompey defense had to shift to one side to cover all the gaps. And then it was just one quick ball all the way to the switch. And the right winger was left on his own to have a shot. Um, there are some defensive errors in there, but not that many. I think if you want to disrupt Portsmouth, you press them high and just be very aggressive on the counter-attack. I think that's the main ways at the moment. You can stifle Portsmouth defensively. We've had plenty of games where even though Pompey created a lot of chances, he struggled to break down teams. One of the few teams to actually not win against Cheltenham, for example, because Cheltenham went to Fratton Park and managed to get a nil-nil draw by basically just putting 10 men behind the ball. Same thing happened against Cambridge United, where Pompey dropped points as well. So there are some ways to get some points out of this team. And they're not the perfect side by any manner of means. They're probably not as good as like an Ipswich or a Plymouth from last season that were quite imperious or even the Sheffield Wednesday with the quality that they had. It's just a very solid side with a lot of good players in it. It feels, I guess, I mean, we've done quite a few of these preview podcasts now this season with, with opposition team fans. And the one thing that's always been kind of a common theme has been around kind of the league being weaker this year than it was last year. And I guess that gives a team like Portsmouth the opportunity to be able to be the dominant force as it were in the division without necessarily being a dominant team completely and not being a perfect side. Whereas last year, for example, you come up against Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich and Plymouth, as you say, and you know, they're a completely different level to the rest of the division last year. No, absolutely. Yeah, of- it's, it's the weakest it's the weakest League One has been for probably the last two or three seasons, I think. Probably the last time Portsmouth were this competitive and the division was weaker in inverted commas was probably when Pompey got into the playoffs in 2018-19. We lost to Sunderland. Well, that's a really depressing thought. It's the weakest League One in three years and we're sitting second bottom. Um, uh, yeah, so we've obviously discussed kind of you going forwards with, uh, with Colby Bishop and, and Sadie and Kamara. I'm guessing that the players to look out for then are, are presumably going to be those those three alongside uh, Morel in, in midfield. Yeah, the players to look out for um, Regan Paul defensively because he'll marshals Pompey's back line, especially if we've got a lot of possession. Um, right back is one of our strongest positions, actually, that we haven't touched on. Either Joe Rafferty, who previously played for Preston, or Zach Swanson, who was a youth product at Arsenal. Both of them are exceptionally good all-round fullbacks who could put a cross in. So the right-hand side with that fullback and Paddy Lane is probably the strongest area. And aside from that, Jack Sparks has had a lot of joy this season. Again, on free from Exeter City, his crossing has been exceptional and he's got a lot of assists. So the fullback areas are quite massive, I think. And then Morel and Robertson will be able to hopefully control the game a little bit. Um, for Reading to have a chance, you'd probably have to double mark Bishop and then isolate play on the wings stop the crosses coming in and then try and hit fast counter-attacks, which I'm not sure if Reading can do properly, but they're, they're asking for an awful lot there. Double mark, mark them, mark the wingers out the game. <laughs> I just don't, don't trust us to do that. The one I say, I will say the one common theme for, for all the players that you seem to be mentioning is so many of them are, are like brand new sportsmen and that kind of, that recruitment in summer seems to have completely paid off um, because I, I mean, I'm looking down the list of transfers that you made in summer, and there's, there's obviously there's a few here which haven't necessarily made many appearances, but the ones who are being mentioned by yourself, uh, kind of as big, you know, big presences in this in this side, so many of them are new players, 
and they all seem to have just integrated straight away. Yeah, absolutely. Without this recruitment, Pompey wouldn't have had the start they had at all because there was a lot of work which needed to be done, I think. It was just the fact that a lot of players at the start of Danny Cowley's tenure were signed on two-year deals. It was the end of that cycle, so a lot of players immediately went out again. So, yeah, to get a lot of those hits in the transfer market, particularly when the side didn't spend a ridiculous amount of money on transfer fees, was quite some exceptional work, really. I think if I was to be picky, potentially only one, two positions in January. I think another left winger, perhaps, um, to help out Kamara a little bit. But that's about it, really. The team seems settled and set, and there's depth in a lot of positions, um, especially attacking the field. They might start um, Tino Andrian at Cam, um, on loan from Chelsea. An exceptional player when he's fit. He's one of those players who has got that high build potential and can drive play with dribbling. Very attacking, but it depends if he's fit or not to start. Yeah. Um, as you say, it's it, when you when you hit the end of that cycle, kind of as a contract cycle, with a lot of players go, it gives you this opportunity, I guess, to be able to to refresh the entire squad in one go. And uh, Paulson seem to have done a really good job of it, in all honesty, so far. Uh, let's finish off here, Freddie, and I'll just ask you for a score prediction for the weekend. I'm going to say it's going to be 2 0 to Portsmouth. I've really got not a lot of optimism, I'll be honest, for this. So, um, what's your thoughts on the score this weekend? I was going to say 2 0 as well. I don't think Pompey will run away with it at all. Um, but I think Pompey will be solid enough to get an early goal and then ride it out and then probably get a goal right at the end when Reading are pushing it. Goal scorers, I'll probably go with Bishop for one goal and then Alex Robertson, because I think he's due. He's played incredibly well and had a lot of chances, which he hasn't taken. So those are my goal scorers, I think. Well, there you have it, folks. 2-0 is the score to be putting your pounds behind this weekend. Thank you very much, Freddie, for joining us today. And we will be back on Sunday covering both the protest march and the game itself uh, with two separate podcasts. If you've enjoyed today's pod, please drop us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. Uh, we very much appreciate it, and we will speak to you all the weekend. Cheers.